some of you, you know that I love and care about going to look at the cross-eyed. Okay, what are you talking about, Brady? Don't do that because I really believe that this message is going to explain to you. And one of the things I think it's going to explain is a lot of babies and children go to church and be with the Lord. started a series of messages several months ago, and what we did was we went through the events that we believe that the Bible teaches what the next event will happen in the year like the last event of the day. So we looked at that, and so we, we're now up to where the Bible tells us there's going to be a great white throne judgment, and it's the Hill God judgment. So listen to what it says in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and they found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up their dead, gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How scary is this? Let's begin with the verse 15. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the message that you have given me. I thank you, Father, for the leading of the Holy Spirit. I thank you so much. started on a series of sermons that describe what we believe to be the next event that will take place according to the scriptures that they teach. In, in the first event that we talked about that we were looking for was the rapture of the church. We're not looking for the second coming. When, when I read Matthew 24, Luke 21, uh, Mark 13, when I read those, those, those chapters and it talks about, you know, the signs and all the things that are happening, then I really believe that predominantly they are for the second coming and they're not for the rapture. I really believe that Jesus, what he taught us simply at this time, Jesus told us to be ready. He says in Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, some people would say, okay, well, then we don't know when He's coming. And there's even some people that the Bible says in the book of Peter would be scoffers who would say, well, they've been talking about this forever. And, but Peter, but the fact that they say that is even the fact that Jesus is coming. Because the Bible says that scoffers will come in the last days saying, where is the promise of His coming for things continue on as they are? Well, let me just say this to you. Things do not continue on. Has your life changed in the last, say, six months, year? Mine has. Cricket and I the other day wanted to go to, uh, uh, wanted to go over to Steak and Shake over in Lexington because that was a place we went to. We like to head over. I like the chili and everything else. We go in there and this whole place is changed. Now you got to go to a computer to get a hamburger. Everything else. I mean, everything around us is changing. Now, some people have even asked me, are, well, do you believe that uh, what's happening with the, the vaccination and everything, is that the, 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 uh, uh, the, 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 uh, that the sign or the, uh, the you know, the uh, uh, mark of the beast? And I say, no, that's not it. But let me tell you what's happening. They, we are being conditioned right now, God, people, whether we like it or not, we're being conditioned. So when that time does come, that we'll drink enough of the Kool-Aid that we're going to lay down when it comes. I believe that with all my heart. So the first event, we talked about the rapture. Now you say, well, we don't know the day when it's coming. Well, listen to what it also goes on to say. We can know, but we can know the season. Look what he says in Matthew 24, verse 33. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door, is what he says. And listen to this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Verse 13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, least others who have no hope. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about the second coming or the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to say, and, and listen to this over in Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, but you, listen to what he tells you, he's talking to you as Christians, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so the day should overtake you as a thief. We need to pay attention. We need to be ready. That's what he's saying to us. So the first event was the rapture of the church. The second event for believers is the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat is the judgment of Christ. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, for we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not one of condemnation because Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no more condemnation to those in, in Christ Jesus. Jesus also says that we won't come into judgment because of it. But we come before the beam of seat. I really believe, now this is me truth talking, nobody else, but I believe that when we go through the rapture, the Bible says we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know that God's going to have to come to us and go over every work, every idle word, everything we've ever said when we came to Him, but I believe all those things are going to fall off as we go through the, 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 the resurrection and we come to the place that we uh, enter into heaven. And I really believe that as a result of that, what's going to take place, that we're going to be rewarded for those things that bring honor and glory to God. But those things that are of us and are not bring glory and honor to Him are going to fall off. They're going to burn up according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, there's a third event, and that third event is the tribulation. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. The church is gone. Revelation 1 through 3, 19 times the church is mentioned. When I get over to chapter, but when we get over to chapter 4, the Bible says that John has come called and said, Come up hither. He goes up. What's that? That's the rapture of the church. From chapter 4 all the way on through to chapter 20, the church is not mentioned. 
Why is it not mentioned? We're not here. We've gone on to heaven. We've gone to be with Him. Now, so, so this tribulation is going to be one of the worst times in mankind's history. To those who don't go into rapture, they'll be left behind to endure the greatest time of suffering the world has ever known. This is why I'm telling you this is serious. The Antichrist will be turned loose on the world. One-third of the earth will die at one time, and a fourth will die at another time. It's going to be one of the worst times that anybody could ever hope to go through. Those who refuse to take the mark of the beast will not be allowed to buy or sell and will be persecuted unmercifully. Now, there's a fourth event, and that is called the Second Coming when Jesus comes back to earth and He will destroy the evil with the battle of Armageddon and sets up His millennial kingdom to reign on this earth for a thousand years. And in that thousand years, Satan is going to be bound for that thousand. So Satan will be running loose. And Jesus is going to rule. The book of Isaiah talks about how we're going to go to the mountain and hear him, and hear him tell us and talk to him. But it also tells us this, that as a result of that, he, re- he reigns with a rod of iron. And there is not going to be any evil. There's not going to be anything happening at that time that Jesus then automatically, right off the bat, put down. So the purpose of the millennial kingdom is for the first time the earth will be run by righteousness for Jesus will be reigning. That's right. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The children will play in the den of the cobra and not be bitten. Jesus will run with a rod of iron. He's going to do things in this world will be like it should be. At the end of the millennium, Satan will be released again. Jay Byrne McGee, one time I, asked, I heard him say, uh, somebody asked him, why will Satan be released? He said, I don't know why God turned him loose the first time. That's what he said. But he's going to be released. And there will be those in the millennium that will follow him. But they will not be those that have had the new generation of the body that they have. They will follow him. And when they do follow him at that time, as a result of that, Satan, uh, the Bible says they will absolutely be put down. They'll be put down. And so, uh, Revelation 20, look at 7 and 9. It says this, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog together them together to battle whose number is the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. And listen to this, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's the end of it. So now, there's a fifth event. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, that it comes, and it comes at the end of the millennium. Satan is gone, and he's gone forever. Because the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, a brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what it says. Now, the wicked dead and the unbelievers are raised now from their grave, and they're brought before the great white throne. They'll be judged according to their works. Let me say it again. They're going to be judged according to their works, because that's exactly what the Word says, that they will be judged according to their works. They will be judged according to their works, and if you are a believer and have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be there. For your judgment has already taken place. You say, my judgment's already taken place? Yeah, if you've come to Jesus. Because when did your judgment 
uh, you know, take place. When you came to Jesus, your wages of sin were paid for, and you were found not guilty. Listen to what it says over in John 5, 24. It says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from life to death. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no more condemnation of those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Remember what Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy. He saved us. It's not by works. Remember uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Uh, 2, 8, 9 is it, simply this. It's 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, or the gift of God, not, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, it's not works. You say, well, then we, we, we could be our, our, go into a doctrine of Arminianism, or not Arminianism, but Andamonianism that says, well, you can just come to Jesus and just sit down and not do anything. No, that's not true. That's the whole purpose of the Bemacy. Bemacy is for a Christian, our works will be judged, but our works don't take us into heaven. But those who have never come to Jesus are at the great white throne judgment, and every work, every idle word, will be brought forth. And at that time, it is time for the transfer of the eternal state of heaven and hell. But before that occurs, there will be an event in the great white throne judgment right before it. It's the last courtroom in history and the darkest moment in time that will take place. John says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, listen to what he says, Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. That's what he says. While the purity, uh, the white here tells me that the throne uh, represents the purity of the throne of God and, and who sits upon it. When John sees the throne, something else happens. He sees when the king shows up that it says here that heaven and earth does what? It fled away. Heaven and earth fled away. When he sees it happening, he sees that heaven and earth, verse 11, that he said on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. What do you mean? It is the uncreation is what he's talking about. In the beginning, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. And he said it is good. So God existed prior to creation. In the beginning was God, just God. And He created. I believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was there. But just that the Trinity was there. And you have the rolling back of creation as we know it. The universe, as you understand it, will evaporate and you'll be back in the uncreation in this time. What are you talking about, Lee? I'm saying that we created things are coming a time that... The, un- the creation will be uncreated because we have no longer dealing with time. We're transitioning, transitioning into eternity. We're going to be living in eternity. Every molecule, atom, proton, neutron, all the forces of energy that make this world will exist, will cease to exist. The Bible tells me over in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that He upholds all things by the word of His power. What does it mean? If Jesus were ever to lie, God were ever to go back on His Word one time, everything you see around us would totally evaporate. He upholds all things by the Word of His power. But we come to a time 
that time is no longer there, and eternity begins to move in, and so the creation that was there that God created will no longer be the, is now becoming the uncreated until we are in that new creation. And that new creation, in Revelation chapter 21, listen to what it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more. There was no, and there was no more sea. You know, when he says there's no more sea, I, I really believe he was saying to John, because John was on the Isle of Patmos at this time, and the thing that had separated him from his, from his family was this, was the sea. And I believe when God did that, He pulled back the curtain as He showed John. And He looked at John, and here's what He said to John. Look, John, there's no more sea. There's no more sea. And to some of you here today that's lost loved ones and children and other things, then you're separated from Him right now. Oh, God is saying to you today, listen to me, there's no more sea. There's no more sea. You're not going to be separated from Him ever and ever again. And so this this will take place in the uncreated until we're in that new creation. Listen to what it says over in Second Peter chapter three, verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which listen to what it says. I'm just reading from scripture. When the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's what Peter said. The evaporation of the universe. So this is the courtroom that takes place right before this. The courtroom scene. Now, many of you have been in a, a courtroom before. And in fact, I got jury duty this week. Which I'm hoping for they don't call me, but that's what I got. So, of course, I got a funeral this week on top of everything else. So I don't know. I might have to go down there and see Jeff one day. So, so the courtroom scene. Many of you have been in a courtroom before. But this is the courtroom like no other other you've ever seen. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. He's seated on the throne. John writes over in John chapter 5, verse 22, he says, For the Father judges no one, but He's committed all judgment to the Son. That's what it says. And then look what he says in verse 27. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. So Jesus is sitting on that throne. And then verse 12, listen to what he says in chapter 20. He says, And I saw the dead and the small and the great standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. The dead, those people that have never come to Jesus, are, are, are being judged by their works by the things which were written in those books. So it tells me simply in verse 13 that the sea gave up the dead who were in it. In verse 14, he tells me that death and Hades were cast into the lake lake of fire. And in verse 13, he also says, and they were judged, each one of them, according to the work. Let me ask you a question. You want to be judged by your work? Bible says, what profit have you now in those things which you're ashamed of? I don't want to be judged by my work. Man, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. That's why I preach the grace of God so much. I'm so glad that God, in His merciful, loving kindness to us, saves us because of His grace. And He doesn't save us because of our work, the things that we've done. 
non-Christian in history will be summoned, and every unsaved person in history will receive this summons. And you will show up because you've been summoned by the king. You'll show up to it because you've been summoned by the king. Hebrews 2, 3, 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you in your life refuse to come to Christ, when you die, you'll be given an unglorified body and placed in a holding place. That's, that's exactly what uh, Luke 16 is talking about. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Remember what happened there? That Lazarus, the Bible says, uh, says of Lazarus, he was a beggar, the rich man, he, he, and Lazarus worked outside the gates of the rich man. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, when they both died, and it's interesting to me that it says when they both died, and Lazarus, it says the angels came and carried him all the way home to heaven. Carried him to paradise. But the rich man, when he died, it says this, and he was buried. I want the angels come to us. Now, and, it, and so paradise was a holding place. It was a holding place that does not exist now. What do you mean it doesn't exist? Because when Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, that Jesus led captivity captive. So what was he doing? He was leading those people that were in paradise, a holding place, because what? Except uh, 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 there is, there is, with, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus, why was there a holding place? Jesus hadn't died yet. Once he died, once he dies, he now goes into paradise. He leads those people out of paradise where the Bible says over in the second book of Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, to be absent in this body is to what? Be present with the Lord. But you can expect to be with Jesus. Why? Because of what Christ has taught He also says over in John 14 that where I am, there you may be also. So where are your loved ones right now? Think any better place they'd be. I know you miss them. And I know it, it grieves you that you're not with them. But let me just say this to you. They're with Jesus. And the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard nor even entered in the heart of man. What God has in store for those that love him. Now that's some good stuff. I don't know we're getting a load up today to go, but I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm in it. Heaven is a wonderful place. And I don't think we're going to talk about heaven here in the next couple of weeks. So, it, it, you know, so if in your life you refuse to come to Christ, when you die, you're going to be given that unglorified body. And those who are believers, according to 2 Corinthians 5 8, are absent the body for the presence of the Lord. And the Father knows where you are. Psalms 139 says, Even the darkness cannot hide me from. It also says in Psalms 139, where can I flee from your spirit? So you're not going to get away from it. And listen to what it says over in Revelation 6, verse 15, 16. And then the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains, in verse 16, and said to the mountain rocks, follow us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the land. You know what this is talking about? They're going to seek to die and not be able to die. They're going to seek death and not be able to die. That's how terrible this time is. But this day is not for Christians. It's not for the saints of God. This event is only for non-believers or bad. 
God is calling to them from the sea and from the grave, and it says that all will be called there. Verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead and the small, great standing before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, and this is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the work. He's calling them. So whether you're small or great, whether you're a superstar going to show up, somebody's will show up and nobody's will also show up. The elite will show up and those who are unrecognizable will show up. The poor will show up and the rich will show up and the whites and the blacks will show up and every shade in between, everybody is going to show up at this judgment seat. What is God looking for? Here's what He's looking for. Chapter 5 of 1 John. What does it say? He who hath the Son hath life. But he who hath not the Son the resurrection of unbelievers. This is millions and millions of people, for this is the accumulation of all the unsaved of all of history at this time. For this is the accumulation of the unsaved for all history, and they will come, and they're going to come to meet the judge who is King Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 12, when they come to meet the judge, it tells us that a book will be opened. Now notice this as you read this, because it says, and books, plural, books were opened in verse 12, and then it says another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's, there's, there's an old set of books, and then there's a book, is what it says. And, and, you know, and so what does it mean? It, 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 so it means this. The books contain all the deeds of everything they have ever done while they're alive on this earth. The activities they did, the works they did, the thoughts that they thought, all manner of actions while they were alive have been recorded in their body, in this book. And there will be a personal review with each one of them. You don't have to worry about how long this is going to take because there's no time. Time is not the issue. Time has ended and the transitioning into eternity. Every non-believer is being called to account, and maybe they're going to do this. Maybe they're going to try to appeal to their records. It is the book of their deeds. Maybe they're going to say, well, I kept the Ten Commandments, and I was a good person. The problem occurs that where they're dealing with who the judge is. First John chapter 5, verse 12 says, he who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son has not life. The great white throne judgment is referring to purity, and seated on the throne is the most pure, righteous, perfect person that has ever walked across the face of earth, and that's Jesus Christ. Very simple. And you're looking at him. God's standard, the Bible says in Galatians 3, verse 10, he says, For as many as are the works of the law under the curse, for his written curses is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It also says this over in the book of James, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of the whole law. That's what it says. So they're going to stand before God, looking at the record of the deeds in the face of this perfect Savior. And they'll lay claim to the right of their own righteousness. 
And yet all of them know they did not live a perfect life. There's none of us perfect. I have little kids sometimes in my office, and I'm explaining to them. I do a scale of 10, uh, 10 down to 1, and I explain to the little kids how, you know, that, that, that you've got to come to Christ, and the only way that we can come to heaven with Christ is be 10, be a 10, and be perfect. And these kids, are, I never had a kid, I don't think, yet that didn't look me straight in the face and say, there's nobody perfect. That's exactly right. That's what the Lord is trying to get over to you. That there's nobody that is perfect. So what's it, you know, so what? But Jesus, who was perfect, died in your place. And God has transferred what He did, His payment, into your account. And now He looks at you as being perfect. If I pick up a snowball and throw it at you, that's one thing. But if I pick up a snowball and I throw it at a policeman, that's another thing. He's liable to take me in handcuffs. I heard a story one time of a man that was drowning, and, and, and a man in a boat came by and picked him up, pulled him in the boat, and saved him. And when he did, uh, uh, you know, saved his life. That year, three or four years later, this same man broke the law and he had to go to court. So he looks up and he recognizes that the man in that boat that saved him is the same guy as the judge. And this guy looks at him and he says to him, he says, man, I am so glad to see you. You know? And this guy looks at him, the judge looks at him and says, back then, I was your Savior. But now, I'm your judge. That's exactly what we're saying. Today is the day of salvation. You have no problem fixing that up. You have no problem. You, you can't control what happened in the past. All you do is bring it to God, bring it in the light, and let Him deal with it. But today is the day of salvation. Jesus wants to be your Savior today. But if you put it off and put it off, and then you die in your sins, as Jesus said, or if the rapture takes place, then you're going to face Jesus, but you will not face Him as Savior. You're going to face Him as your judge. So the books will open, and every person will get the opportunity to make their case, and there will be a perfect record of every thought, every deed done, maybe maybe even there's going to be a video of what you did. Maybe God will take it and turn it on slow mode, and we can just watch it as you do what you did and just find out what you did and what you did. There will be no repudiation of it. There will be nobody who will be able to say, well, nah, that's not right. God will say, oh, man, we messed up. It'll be a perfect, a perfect record. Some's going to argue, and they're going to say, "Well, you might have brought me here for stealing, but I never murdered anybody." But when you come to this court, you're not there for what you didn't do; you're there for what you did do. And they will be judged out of the book for what they did do. But understand something: this is one of my point of points I want to make here. The purpose of the great white throne judgment is not to determine your eternal destination. Let me say it again. The purpose of the great white throne judgment, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, is not to determine your final destination. It's not. Your final destination has already been determined. If you're... Listen... The purpose of this judgment is only to determine the degree of judgment, not the fact of the judgment. Let me say it again. The purpose of this judgment is only to determine 
the degree of judgment, not the fact of judgment. So hear what I'm saying. If you don't come to Christ, you've already been found guilty. John 3.18, He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. He's already... You know, that movie, Walking Dead, people that have never come to Christ are walking dead. For this is only for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But the sentence varies. Because we'll get into this at a later date, but there's not one level for hell. Some go to death in, 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 in our world. Some go to death go to death row. Some go to the life imprisonment. Others for a short time. I don't know. But listen to what Matthew 18, 6 says. It says this, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. If you just messed up yourself, that's one thing. But if you messed up and you caused other people to mess up and you hurt a lot of people as in a result of that, then that's a totally different thing. And that's what he's saying. If you abuse other folks, then your judgment will be greater. Listen to what it says in Matthew 12, 38 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Uh, is greater than he is. In other words, they're going to receive a greater judgment because it's Jesus talking. More hell than ever. Luke 12, verse 47 and 48, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Listen to what it says in verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom as much is given, from him much is required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the Lord. So there's degrees to hell, whether you want to believe it or not. So we open up the book. Stands for Jesus Christ to give an answer. But that's not why you go to hell. You don't go to hell because of what was written in those books. Because that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the books has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. When you go there, you're going to be judged by the books, but that's not, the books have nothing to do with your eternal death. The purpose of the books is to decide the level of those judgments, not the fact of it. Here's the question, and here's the question. If you hear anything I'm saying today, listen to this. Then why is it that people go to hell? You got another book. It's not the book, but it's the book. And the book that we're talking about here has names in it. It tells us simply in verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. The deeds, how much, the deeds are how much hell you get. The book is why you're there. Because your name was not there. You're in the great white throne judgment because your name is not 
of life. Let me say it again. You're at the great white throne judgment because your name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, why was it not there? Why was it not there? Let me, let me explain something else. Somebody may agree with me, somebody may disagree with me. That's okay. Adam was created, and we know what he did. He sinned. And the Bible says that sin was passed down to the whole human race because of what Adam did. When we get to heaven one of these days, Adam is going to be the only guy in heaven that's going to have a razor fence around his around his mansion, and so if we get him out of there, we're going to kill him for what he did. But because of Adam's sin, sin was passed down to the whole human race. So everybody that was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we sin because we carry the endemic nature that included sin. That's why you don't have to teach people to sin. They just know how to sin. That's why even your grandchildren or other children, uh, you know, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They know how to be selfish, wouldn't they? So the whole world is born in sin. Okay, listen to what it says over in Peter, first chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 19, 19 through 20. He says this, But the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In other words, before Jesus, let me let me read something else. Revelation, listen, Revelation thirteen eight. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from when? When did Jesus? When was God preparing to send Jesus? Before when? Foundation of the earth. I didn't say it. The Bible says before the foundation of the earth. So Jesus was getting ready to come before he ever came into this world. God had already preordained this. Now watch this. In other words, before Jesus entered the earth, God took an account of his death. And in taking an account of his death, God the Father addressed the original, watch this, the original sin of Adam. Now what are you saying, Eddie? I'm saying, I've heard people come to me and say, well, I just don't understand why God should hold me accountable if Adam was screwed up. It wasn't me. And God knows that. Our God is a great God. He's intelligent. He's, he's merciful. He's loving. He's kind. And so guess what He does? He addresses the original sin of Adam before the foundation of the world. How did He address it? By sending Jesus, getting ready to send Jesus into this world. So that the cross, there was going to be two things that were going to be happening. And the first thing that was going to be happening was that He was going to address the original sin. And so... And, and so as a result of that, he took into account his death. God the Father addressed the original sin. Listen to what it says over in the book of Romans, chapter 5, starting with verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting
resulting in justification of life. Now look what it says, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, because of what Adam did, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Okay? Are you with me thus far? So when God initiated creation, and He looked at creation, and He said, it is good, and in one place He says, it's very good, every name, watch this, every name, every man, every woman, every child was written, their names were written in the book of life. Are you with me? Every name at the foundation of the earth, because Jesus was preparing, God was preparing Jesus to come. Every name was written in the book of life. Every name. Why? Because First John chapter two verse two says this, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but what? For also the whole world. For the whole world. You know? For the whole world. Now, you say, Lee, are you, are you, teaching, uh, are you teaching a doctrine here that says that everybody's going to... No, I'm not teaching doctrine. Stay with me. But here's what I'm saying. The original sin, God was preparing to take care of the original sin that Adam passed down to us before the foundation of the earth ever happened. So, sin's original sin was covered by God in His mind even before Adam was created. Because God knew Adam would sin, and God covered the human race as a result of that. Romans 7, 9. But before I get there, let me just say this. This is why, listen to me. This is why I am so glad that, I, that God has revealed this to me in Christ's Spirit. You know why? Because therefore, when I have a family that comes to me, a mother, comes to me and they have lost a child. They've lost a little baby. I can look them straight in the face and I can say to them, I know where your baby is. I know where your child is. Where is he? He's in heaven. Why? Because the original sin has been taken care of because that child has not reached the age of accountability. And I've, had, I've actually heard preachers say, oh, you know, if, if a child doesn't come to Jesus, whatever, they're going to be lost. No, they're not. It's been paid for. It's been paid for where that baby, that child, is in heaven with Jesus. But listen to what it says, Romans 7, 9. It's the age of accountability. He says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. What is he saying? He's saying, when I came to the place that I understood that I had sinned. When I understand that I needed to come to Jesus and be saved, that was the time that I needed to come and be with Him. So here's the thing. So if that's the case, then why does anyone go to hell? Because the death of Jesus on the cross covers original sin, but it does not cover personal sin when the rejection of Christ is involved. In other words, it covers original sin, saving you from what Adam's con- 
condemnation did, but personal sin gets covered when you accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. You understand? So, so original sin is covered for babies and children that go on to heaven until the age of accountability, until they come to the place that they understand their need of Christ. Which is when you understand that you sin and you're a sinner and you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So once you come to the age of accountability, which varies from person to person, the death of Christ has made you savable, but you must accept Him as Lord and Savior to be saved from my personal sins, so you can't blame Adam in this. Revelation 3.5. Listen to what it says. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not what? Blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father for his name. What's he saying here? He's saying that when you don't come to Jesus, what's he going to do? I've heard preachers preach on this and say, well, if you do anything wrong, you're blotted out of the book of life. No, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that your name was there the moment that, that you were born. It was there. And until you come, your name is there until you die or whatever happens. And as a result of that, your name will be blotted out if you don't come to Jesus. That's what it says. He over, and, and look at this is the positive. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and will, I will not blot out his name. I will not blot out. Why? Because he's come to Christ. You know, he's come to Christ. The death of Jesus Christ got your name in the book of life. But if you reject Jesus Christ, your name is erased from that book of life. And one day you will stand at the great white throne judgment knowing your name is not there. So there's going to be millions and millions of people who will be looking for a name that is not there because they never responded to Christ for personal forgiveness. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There will be those on that day that will say to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, there will be those that will come to him and say, But now, Lord, not everyone who says to me, the Lord says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew the parts of me except the Father. Jesus says here, I never knew. I didn't know you for 10 years. You know, you did what I wanted you to do, whatever, 10 years. I never knew. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Now, so here we go. But here's the problem. The standard is perfection. You're going to be judged by your works when the standard is perfection. And God cannot lower His standard because He would not be God if He did. The reason that God is going to uncreate the creation is to get rid of any molecule of sin and He'll burn it up. The issue of sin will never show up again. will never show up again. Going to heaven and not hell is not related to your work. And let me just say this to you. And I say those things and I Because the Bible says the grace of God has appeared 
What is grace? Grace is you through Christ. When Christ comes in you, He does something. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. And if you don't experience that, you need to find out what's going on. He wants you to do what He wants you to do. The Bible says he's, you're His workmanship created a good work. The Bible says it's God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. It says over in Philippians 1, verse 6, it says this, it says, He who hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, That which I've committed unto him, I believe he's able to keep against that day. What's it say? There's a force inside you of the Holy Spirit that pushes you to do the good thing. Let me say this, how you live your life in this world will determine what you're going to be doing in the next life. That doesn't save you because we're saved out of perfection because of what Jesus has done. Well, I believe that's called redeeming. So y'all try to do something good every day. Y'all do something, do something, one thing good every day that you bring glory and honor to God because He's going to go through this list with you at the beam of seat. Not the great white throne judgment. God is an eternal being, and He is from everlasting to everlasting. So sin is an eternal crime or an act against an eternal being. Sin is a violation against God's standard from which is against God. When we sin, we insult an eternal being. Therefore, the punishment must fit the crime. So then there is eternal consequences for an eternal act against an eternal person, which meant that God had to come up with an eternal solution. On the cross, Christ bore the sins of the whole world. And while He was on the cross, He uttered a sentence that only eternity could explain when He said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? At that moment, Jesus experienced hell. Now, some people try to say that Jesus went to hell. I don't know that He went to hell, but He experienced hell. Because at that exact moment, there was a grief from the Godhead. The Father separated from the Son. Something that has not happened throughout all eternity. For in that moment, the Son was separated from God the Father. In that moment, because God's eyes are so holy, He cannot even look upon sin. But Jesus was becoming my sin. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. The moment the Son was separated from God the Father, that was hell! Kids talk all the time. We're not going to hell. We're almost there. We're going to have a big party when we get down there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You know what hell is? Hell is the separation from God. It is the separation from God. It is the separation from everything that is good and holy and pure. And I can't even explain what Jesus is going through. But at that moment, God stopped being God without stopping to be God so He could be God for you and me. And Jesus went to hell so you and I could go to heaven. Folks, Second Thessalonians 1 9 is a simple definition of what God did. And He says in 1 9, these shall be punished with an everlasting destruction. What does that say? From the presence of the Lord. What is hell? It's from the presence of the, of the Lord. It's moving away from God and the glory of His power. What is hell? It is simply the absence of God. You know, if you're guilty and someone is suing you, probably the best thing for you to do is try to settle out of court. And that's why 
is not the righteousness of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says over in chapter 3 of this epistle, verse 9. He counted everything as vain except for what he saw in Jesus Christ. He found out, oh my friends, I didn't, I, I didn't tell a joke this morning just to one minute just to say serious. And I know, I know you guys that have sat under my teaching for all these years, 